And he's like, is, is this real? Yeah, Trent. It's real. Well, I don't want it. Trent, you can just turn it off on me, dude. That's a fucking asshole move, bro. Okay. And ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to Cats with Tin Hats. This is Oliver. And this week we're going to keep going on the Kubrick theory chain. Uh, grab your fedoras because we're going to mansplain the shit out of The Shining when we take a look at room 237. These technical difficulties signify uh, Stanley Kubrick's <clears throat> spirit. Shit. Is with us tonight. But like, is he a happy spirit? No, nah, just like us. Oh, like so like Shelley Duvall, he's gonna be angry as hell with us. I thought you were gonna say Stephen King, <laughs> <laughs> who's just livid about this movie. Like, was he though? He was. Well, he was. He. I don't know fucking how he hated The Shining. Well, like yeah, it's Cobra a different did. movie to the <laughs> book. He's like, <laughs> imagine being him in the theater. He's like. What the fuck? <laughs> Out loud. Oh yeah. She's like. Yeah, he's not. He he was unhappy, man. Yeah. Well, it's, oh, this is far from the source material. <laughs> I told you, Jack Torrance does not go into the cold room right now. And then good old Kubrick is just like, I hey, man, shut up. <laughs> There's my movie, and you can just fuck off. <laughs> you know he's American, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's American! <laughs> I did not know that. I thought he was speaking English. For those for reference, last week we watched uh, Moonwalkers, so the confusion is justified. Yeah, I thought he was English. I was like, oh, well, they went to London. He's like, okay, he's English, man. No. <laughs> So, Room 237 is a documentary uh, described here as an exploration of various interpretations of Stanley Kubrick's horror film, The Shining. Came out in 1980. Director Rodney Asher, uh, featuring testimonies and theories from Bill Blackmore, Jeffrey Cox, Julie Kearns, John Fell Ryan, Jay Widener, and a bunch of other people that honestly are so far up their own ass, I can't even (laughs) begin to explain. If you want to watch this, I don't recommend it. <laughs> Look at best clips on YouTube and people actually explaining like the the ten minutes of information you need to know. This one hour forty minute documentary. That's the issue that I had. Like a lot of it, like we were talking before the podcast even started. I mean, like half of this movie, like the the half, you're like, oh okay, like okay, maybe, mm. like wow, oh I didn't even see that the first time, and then. All of a sudden, it just, you go, no, that's not, no, it was just the chair. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, there's one specific moment in this where it's a different camera angle, and they're trying to say that a pair of pants is a different color and a different pattern, but it's because of the camera's so far away yeah. from the pants why you can't see the pattern you know that part yeah where i'm like okay like it's a co- like this is a cool story problem is that's not actually it i don't no. think i don't I, like i get it people a lot of people are like kubrick you know he was a photographer first he knows the he knows 
he knows frame. He yeah. knows that still frame, and that's what makes his movies so great. He knows how to compose a shot. That's great. That's beautiful. Not taking that away from the guy. He's, mm. I, nobody needs to hear it from me, but he's the, one of the best filmmakers. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, 100%. To ever touch a script or camera. Like, Not that I need to say that, but <sighs> there comes a point when it's like, okay, guys, please, just watch the movie. You know? Yeah, just enjoy the movie. Come on, don't get so... God, I'm only seen 13 minutes of this film until I <laughs> gave up. No, it was also one in the morning, and... So, we, we both obviously love this documentary. What are your honest thoughts on it? Well, 13 minutes? Well, think? so, at first I'm like, so... So, it threw me off at first, because I, I threw it on, I'm like, Tom Cruise, what the fuck are you doing this? And I goes, okay, like, what the fuck? <laughs> then, I was like, okay, like, I'm... And, I was telling Oliver on the way here, I'm like, did these fuckers make me watch a Tom Cruise movie? And did I watch this movie at one in the morning? All right, I guess I'm in it. That's like, oh, wait, no. It's, wait, what? I was super confused at first. Full, full reference, they were showing clips from other Kubrick movies. Yeah. They were showing Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, so then I was like, okay. Interviewing Tom Cruise. Right? So, these uh, fucks. <laughs> so I was kind of confused. I was just, again, I'm going to say this. 13 minutes felt like fucking 45 minutes. Um, I'm just gonna jump a little bit, and yeah, we'll get into more. But um, when they were talking about what people, you know, oh no, this, this movie symbolized, you know, this or symbolized this or symbolized that. No, is this? Oh, if you look at the dude being scared, it's all this shit. It was just like it was a lot to for a pro- to process at one in the morning, and it was just like one of them. I, one of them I could get behind, kind of, was like when I forget who it was, some fucking dickhead. Um, to apologize, <laughs> who said that um, the movie w- was a representation of um, the war when um, the Americans and the indigenous people, right, mm-hmm. from the land. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, that was Bill Blackmore's yeah. theory. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, a lot of indigenous are a lot of the cans of, um, whatever that was, fucking. Oh, the um, peace pipe cans. The peace pipe cans. And the guy's uh, name was. Calumet. Yeah, Calumet. Yeah. And then the guy's name, or was that. Calumet was a name of someone? Yeah, was it, yeah it was Peace Pipe. Was Peace Pipe. Yeah, so Calumet was the name yeah. of the, of like the, can the of baking powder, powder yeah. but it means Peace Pipe, in, yeah. Peace Treaty kind of thing. Right? So then I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. And, and, there, and you know, he did back it up a little bit where then like, there was like one shot too, like when they were, some of them were turned, and like, oh, that's the break of the Peace Pipe and yeah. this and that. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, yeah. I didn't think about that. That's a cool way of thinking about it. And then some other fucking schmuck. Uh, um, said that it's about uh, the apo- or not the apocalypse, um, the Holocaust, mm-hmm. practically the same thing, and it was just that's kind of when I was just like, okay, you know what? I am too dumb for this. I'm not like I'm not artistic enough. I'm not I'm not intelligent enough. I watch a film just to be enjoy- just to enjoy a film, um, and that's kind of when I turned it off. But other than that, yeah, it's kind of boring. Not gonna lie, it's smooth. This this the dog. The thirteen minutes felt like felt like twenty for me. Yeah, and that's I think one thing that doesn't help is how poorly structured this documentary is. It doesn't follow a single thought consistently throughout. It just jumps all over the place. You can't tell what's hap- what they're actually talking about. Because I think that's the struggle I was yeah. having too. Like like what you were saying, where it's like, what what the hell are you talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I'm so off, too. He's from fucking New York. Oh. <laughs> See, like... Sorry, again. I mean, it's interesting, because now it's like, well, that was in my mind. It's like, a part of me wanted to do the New York accent. No, no, he's English. Has to be. And then, 
Yeah, I was way off. I was watching an interview with his wife, and they're like, a lot of people will be surprised to know that he is actually from New York. And it's like, and then I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, like, really? And she's like, yeah, we just kind of hung out in London because our kids were going to school. <laughs> and then he laughing my ass off. Yeah, that was funny. Oh, God. Uh, good times. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. So, yeah, let's get into the many weird theories. This is going to this podcast I feel is going to be a lot like the documentary, very unstructured. Yeah. Because there's so many things to cover that they don't link so we can't really link it ourselves. It's like from one minute they're talking about how this symbolizes the Holocaust, but then somebody will jump in about this Minotaur theory and it's like, "Well, whoa, I want to hear what this guy has to say about the like how it ties into the Holocaust, but somebody's coming in and talking about a Minotaur, and I'm like, Wait, what happened? the yeah. fuck? Uh, no, dude, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not fucking embellishing anything. I'm not joking. <laughs> That's the thing. Like that happens. It, yeah. it makes no sense. It it's comes like, out of nowhere too. You're like this, like, uh, and then they'll be taught, and then then they'll go from the Minotaur theory. To the theory you were talking about, about like, you know, how this ties into genocide and uh, and all this stuff and how it ties into how mm-hmm. he want, And then it cuts to like, well, they, well, he wanted to do it like it was. So if you watch it backwards, it's like 2001 A Space Odyssey. And you're like, okay, finish one. Yeah. Finish one now. Yeah. Let me go to the other one after you're done. Yeah. It's like construction and freaking... Anywhere that anybody lives, world, yeah. where they start constructing like a business right here, and then they decide to like a little bit over the other opposite way. Like, you know how you're like, ah, shit, you know what, dude? Oh, it's backed up on main, on main Street. Yeah, let's take You know what? We'll take the second route down, you know, Second Street. Yeah. And they're building on Second Street, too. Yeah. It's like, finish one. Yeah. Finish one. And, and then, then you're down. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Because you screwed me on both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I, I guess we should start. Start with the Minotaur. That one seems interesting. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. It's, it's probably my my favorite nonsensical one. All right. Oh, this is new. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll start this documentary the same way that uh, what's it, Bill Blackmore, Blakemore, starts it by saying uh, this movie represents terror across America because that's how it was uh, advertised in Europe. And what was the terror across America? Indian genocide. That's how he pitched this theory. That's Wait, the who? first Cooper? one. Yeah. No. Or this guy. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This guy. It's like the bell did. Like when he goes more in depth on it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. There, there. A lot of it does back it up. But you can't drop us in like that. Yeah. There's but no he... like. There's no easing in. It's like we're here. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Remember the movie about The Shining, about cabin fever? Nah, it's Indian genocide, mate. Yeah, it's just... It's... Oh, hold up. Go back, go back. So it's, so it's almost like... So instead of like... Yeah, instead of just... It's just a full-on... It's full-on scent. It's like they misunderstood what thesis statement meant. Oh, okay. And goes, here's my conclusion. Oh, okay. No, okay, I okay. want your thesis, not the conclusion. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. Like, they're very similar, but they just... But they're not the same. Yeah. It's like tomatoes and potatoes. Similar. But not the same. I don't know how they're similar, but... Both fruits. Potatoes aren't fruit. I don't know. I'm done talking. Sorry, go on. They both grow from the ground. 
That signifies tomatoes are on plants, but they grow from the ground. Well, that's everything then. Yeah, exactly. And that signifies that the the growth of the minotaur. <laughs> and that symbolizes the growth of the minotaur. Minotaur. <laughs> that just reminds me of the role model. Uh, minotaur. <laughs> that's all I can think of. Wait, you're, you're saying that Stanley Kubrick wrote. The Shining, with full intention, knowing that a few years down the line, the role models was going to be created for that one line. Stanley, <laughs> you fucking guy. He's like, you know what? Here, I'll leave, that. I'll leave this for you for the future. <laughs> yeah. When I'm dead, in the early 2000s, here you go. Here. Here. Have it. Here. Here. The movie was stiffler in it. <laughs> Throw that in there. Movie stiffler and Paul. <laughs> Paul Rudd. <laughs> Just imagining that. Like, oh, I'm... <laughs> Honestly, like, ah, uh, man. It's fucking like. <laughs> what, are the, what are the odds of, like, also, like, you're like, oh, yeah, his, his wife's like, oh, I'm surprised that we're actually American. Oh, he's American. It's like. And there you go. That's kind of shocking. And then there's me being like, yeah, I know, he's, he's fucking funny. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the rest of my notes. Like, I, there, I did one note per, like, theory. Oh, yeah. And I just, I just read the. Film is filled with sex. A paper tray turns into a heart. On and I forgot that was in it. <laughs> oh my god! That was like I'm not writing this down. Indigenous genocide. Yeah. Indigenous genocide. So turned to what? Then, dude, this is I'm. We are not kidding. This is not joking. Go watch it. It goes. Done. It goes from yeah. talking about that. Yep. Yeah. To a paper tray being a dick. <laughs> Out of nowhere. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Not, tell them I'm not kidding. He's this not is the, this is true shit. It's going frame by frame because and if we see here as he shakes his hand, the paper tray turns into and I thought, oh, are they gonna cut? It's gonna be something else. This dude's hard on. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I broke out laughing. <laughs> like uh, this is what I mean, where it's like, okay, whoa, that wow, that really is interesting. The imagery here and the story totally makes sense. Do not cut it off with a hard on. Like, don't cut it off with that that yeah, shit. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like it's actually interesting him going in and like, like being like, no, this actually of... looks kind of like this could be some of the themes in it. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, that kind of does look like it. And then you have fucking Buddy coming in like this. Actually, no. If you look at this uh, interview scene, it's actually uh, when he shakes his hand. It's a big dick. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? And there's sex all over the movie. It's like, what? What? Yeah, if you look at the carpet, it's a bunch of dicks. That's what he said. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> say. He doesn't say it like that. But that's what he said. But not only that, it's a bunch of dicks that line together. Yeah, I'm not like I'm not exaggerating, <laughs> guys. This is serious shit. Oh, I'm at the watch. Just honestly now. Honestly, have a couple drinks. Put it on. I'll put. Yeah, I'll, I'll have my moonshine in my hand and yeah. <laughs> step in that. Dude. It's the most wild shit. I have a drink shit. every time it doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, we need to have a liquor store then. <laughs> Actually, no, I, I'm going to go Crown Royal and, and Moonshine, and then I'll drink your vodka if that's cool, and I'll buy a new bottle. <laughs> Cindy, bring it back here. I'm only forgetting. I find this issue, it's a lot of, and I find it more and more now with the internet, is just people's opinions, right? Like, yeah. there used to be a time when... People's opinion, like a lot of people's opinions, weren't heard. Yeah. 
now we have the internet, right? Yeah. And and it's great because you know we're hearing about problems in the world that we can help change. That's that's awesome. That's that's yeah. awesome. But the other turn is is like now you see a bunch of videos everywhere and a bunch of people talking about you know films and filmmaking and you know we're a fucking example of it where it's just a bunch like a bunch of people getting together and then talking about a movie like they were there in 1979 with Jack Nicholson mm. like hey man yeah. so that choice there was that for fucking Barry Nelson's dick while he's shooting no it's cause the carpet had dick song on the <laughs> <video>. <laughs> you know I mean? like, it's just like what do you what do you mean man like it's a it's a bunch of stuff where it's like it, the thing about this documentary I don't get is it is it speaks but it speaks like this is how it actually is instead of like well maybe this is what it is yeah I think the best comparison I can think of to recent stuff is this is basically going down a Marvel fan theory forum and hot, most of the stuff in here is a theory that Ant-Man is going to jump into Thanos' ass and expand to Giant Man. <laughs> Dear God. And that's how they're going to kill him. Yeah. Honestly, like... It, but it level... It, it goes like this. It's like a slow, gradual at the beginning where you're like, okay. Like... Like you were saying with the Calumet can, like the baking powder, and, you know, there's one that's fully... Turned oh, yeah. and as Scatman Crothers is talking to Danny, yeah, that's doing the shining. Yeah. It's like this: the full lettering's there. You can see the whole can, and that's like a that's a true, yeah, like a peaceful treaty. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And then it cuts to when Jack Torrance is stuck in the pantry after Wendy locks him in, and he's yeah. talking to Grady. Yeah, and all the cans are turned, and you can't read you can't a read single them. one. You yeah, can't yeah, really yeah. see anything, and it's all behind his head. And there's actually a photo of of Kubrick, like. Yeah, he was it on set. Yeah, because yeah, he was any very um, he, like meticulous. I'm like, this has to be yeah here, yeah. and it needs to be looking like this, right? Yeah. Every, everything in any Kubrick film, which helps and doesn't help the documentary, everything is done for a reason. Okay, there is not a single item on set that is misplaced, okay. and if you think it looks misplaced, it's there for a reason. Okay, even in post, he'd make a choice. Yeah. Like that's that's like a lot of people would describe him playing. 3D chess. He knows exactly where he's going, what he wants, how he's going to do it. And even if this moves in a scene, there's some reason why, why that moved. moved. Like, oh, okay, okay. He's a very meticulous IQ. He has 200 IQ. He's just... Or he's a genius. Intelligent. Yeah. yeah. And he always... he. I know that a lot of people, they notice he always makes movies. They're um, based off books. Because he believed that no story could ever triumph a novel. Yeah, fair enough. Just how how well it was written. Mm. He was like, there's so much stuff in this novel that I would make a movie off of it because it's just so well Unless it's Stephen King and it's like, I can rip off of it onto my own shit. <laughs> well, dude, that's because he saw the fucking moon landing in it and he was like, yeah. you know what? Hey, Stephen King, how about this? Jack Torrance's car under the truck. How about that one, huh? Yeah, by the way, it did the moon landing. Go fuck yourself, huh? I think that's what he said. At least that's what one of the guys in the documentary said. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Honestly, if you, said, if, you, if you ended there, like, oh, I can see that. It's clear. We're like, cutting everything else. Why not? Like, that car accident, one I can buy with the Absolutely. red car, mm -hmm. with his being yellow. So specific. And the car accident wasn't in the book. Yeah. So for like, sure. That could easily, I would 100% buy that's <laughs> Kubrick that's going, yeah. this isn't your 
this isn't your story, King. I'm sorry, this isn't your story. Your story's done. Boy, yeah. man, this ain't your story anymore. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but... <laughs> it's mine. He's calling him. He's just calling him. He's like... Hey, you want some an accent? You want some an accent? It's not Stanley Kubrick. He's pretending to be like his assistant. He's like, this is a, this is a, this is Sir Eisen, Eisen Tavish. Yeah, see, I told Stanley Kubrick doesn't like your film. I mean, your book. He's gonna change it a little bit. So yeah, go fuck yourself. That'll teach him. <laughs> That'll teach him. Sorry. Oh yeah. So should we go into the indigenous genocide theory of this movie? Yeah, sure. Let's okay. do it. I mean, like, we've been talking about it, like, a lot in this first little bit here, but Bill Bill Blakemore, he he was kind of like, or Bill Blackmore, fucking, I don't know. What's his name? I think it's Blake. K-E. Uh, okay. All right, so Bill Blakemore, he saw the movie in Leicester Square in London, and he was the guy who, who noticed the poster, as we said earlier. Yeah. So he was, um, he said that he was sitting in the car... As they were coming out of the underground parking garage, and that's when it hit him. The Calumet yeah. can, like baking powder, it had hit him. That scene where Scatman was looking at Danny doing the shining, where he's like, "Hey, you want ice cream, Doc?" That was the scene that it broke. Where that was the peaceful treaty because that, I guess that word Calumet means yeah means uh, peaceful pipe. yeah peace pipe and yeah. treat and treaty and stuff. And he grew up in. In Chicago, yeah, by the uh, Calumet, Calumet, um, yeah, or uh, or on um, the Calumet, um, oh, what was it? It was by the Calumet, uh, like, oh fuck, what was that? Not that, oh fuck, yeah, 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 fuck, what is it? Oh, Calumet Harbor, yeah, that's okay. what it was. And he spent his summers in Michigan with his dad and his sister, and they went looking for like old indigenous, indigenous pottery. Yeah, so he was kind of like. He went into the movie with prior knowledge of like the kind of the meaning of that word and stuff. So the brain's suggesting firing off while he's watching this movie. And I mean, like we were saying, then uh, the scene with uh, Jack Torrance and Grady when he's locked in the pantry after Wendy locks him in, there's like six or seven cans that are all turned a different way and you can't read it. So that's that shows like. Um, a treaty broken, an unpeaceful, um, un, like a broken treaty kind yeah. of thing. And, and I mean, like, it's interesting to me because, like, all over this movie, there's a lot of, like, when they're touring the, the Colorado Lounge, for instance, in that scene, they're talking about the, the indigenous art and, like, wow, is this original? And Yeah, yeah and there's a lot of pictures of, of indigenous people yeah. uh, on the walls and stuff. So, yeah. I mean, like... It wasn't one of the lines as they were walking outside. It's like, yeah, we killed the indigenous to build this place. We're probably still killing them whilst we were building it. Yeah, now. yeah. It was, uh, the, the they say the Outlook Hotel started being built in 1907 and was finished in 1909. And half of it was built on an indigenous burial ground. Oh, wow. And they were fighting indigenous people while they were building it. That's I think Barry Nelson yeah. has that line. When yeah. they're walking on the side after they go through... To the maze. Mm. And there's another line in here where they say, um, Wendy's chasing Danny to the maze when they're going to look out in the famous scene of like uh, Jack looking at the table with them in it. When they're running out to the maze, she says, uh, loser has to keep America clean or, or 
whatever. Right. And yeah. like there was old commercials with an indigenous man about littering and mm. stuff. So a lot of people think that that might be oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like kind of a like symbol, like more symbolizing Symbolism. stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here. Um, the beliefs that you know the elevator. Uh, the f- there's so many famous scenes from this movie, but the famous shot of the blood coming out of the elevator was actually showing that the elevator actually goes all the way down to the burial ground, and that's the blood yeah. of the indigenous people that were that had were lost their lives. Yeah, that had lost their lives and and were disrespected by um, other people coming in and taking their land by the white man. And that's yeah. pretty much what it signifies. Is like. Uh, it signifies, and actually, I watched the movie, and a lot of the lines. If you're going in with the intent of that, you can find anything you want. Really, okay. you can tie pretty much anything together. You know how Scatman's character, he says, um, he's like talking, and history is just like pictures in a book. Okay. And you know all this stuff about you know the weird thing about history is. I believe it was said in the documentary, the weird thing about history is it doesn't exist until you remember it. It's the act of remembering that brings history back to life. And I'm like, at first I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, whatever. But a lot of people believe that this was Stanley Kubrick trying to talk on the the topic of of genocide and how people don't fully grasp the, 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 um, the horror, yeah, the horror it. and the tragedy that lies in the in in the actual truth of what happened in those situations. This was right around the time where he was he was writing a, a movie called The Aryan Papers, mm. and he got heavily depressed, and he was. They said that he was like relieved once uh, Schindler's List came out, and he could say, "Oh, it's already been yeah, done," and it. he stopped doing it because I think his wife said that he was like getting really depressed mm. because uh-huh. of just reading. All the stuff about the Holocaust and stuff, like he would. So a lot of people think that it's signifying like uh, genocide and the and the horror, horrific stuff that happened during those times. Yeah, because one of the quotes as well from the documentary is that as once the deaths reach the millions, it's no longer deaths; it's a statistic. Yeah, and from that you can easily disassociate yourself. But what it's saying Kubrick's trying to do here is trying to ground you in what the massacre was. Mm-hmm. thematically at least yeah where where jack torrance is the 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 nazis yeah. and wendy and and danny are the are the jewish are the jewish people, people who were unfortunately um, massacred and yeah yeah like that kind of stuff because it even goes to the ballroom as well because it's mm-hmm. all rich white people parading around not doing not mm-hmm. really caring in the world yeah so like I mean and this stuff like when you first start you're like what the like what are you talking about like no way and then you kind of like you ease into the idea like okay this there's a there is a possibility here that maybe maybe he was interested in that I mean they talk a lot about Kubrick was really into at the at that point the the um the law of like human attraction in like why are we so attracted to ads why are we so why do you want that why do you want that ice cold pepsi zero when you watch the commercial right like if there's subliminal stuff in there and then you get in 
that's when it strays and it totally changes. Mm. But, I mean, they connect back to to this topic and they were talking about how, I mean, he has subliminal stuff all throughout his movies, if it's pictures or if it's lines or stuff that you kind of have to weave back and forth to create a full picture of what he's talking about. Right. And it's really weird. Again, this documentary could have done so much better if it just kept with the first 20, 30 minutes going on the indigenous massacres, then the next going on to the Holocaust and World War II, Honestly. then give us all the bullshit after that. Yeah, because it's such a, like, it's like, it's so weird. Like, it's just structured really weird. So a lot of it talks about, like, the tricks that mm-hmm. Kubrick used to play or, or, like, stuff like that. But, I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about the, like, what they were talking about with the, the indigenous side of, like, the themes that were in this movie? After hearing everything they had to say, mm-hmm. it does make a lot of sense. And I can easily see it because I didn't pick up on that all the, all the amount of times I watched it. Yeah. But after seeing all the artwork in the background, all the lines that go straight straight to it, I'm like, yeah, there is some validity to this. I could easily see this as being one of the themes of the movie or one of the underlying themes of it. So honestly, this theory stands up. Yeah, like of the I, movie, it's I believe that too. Totally, what you just said. Like it, it makes it makes sense after the after like the evidence that they have brought forth. It's yeah. like. Okay, that makes sense. That totally is something that could actually be a, a, a artistic decision and something that's really interesting when, when they dive into like how he wanted to make this movie like dreams and yeah. like show you how you go into the movie and you're so invested in it and you're looking at the history and you're looking and you're invested and you're invested and then the movie ends and you forget about it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what happens with history. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting, that, I, that idea. I just don't I don't know if that was intentional for him or if that was just a lot of people trying to find something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cuz there's there's a, you can find anything, you know? You can find if you look hard enough, you can find the needle in the haystack. But you're also looking at shit that you want to see. Of course. Right. I I think one thing that also doesn't help this movie was its initial release because a lot of people were saying they didn't like the movie they were disappointed that it wasn't scary enough after being advertised as a horror Mm -hmm. and a lot of people came away from it saying i didn't like it but and then they followed up with what i thought was the strangest thing but i should like it because it's stanley kubrick and then they say the next time they watch it they have a lot more respect for it here's my theory on room 237 the first time all these people watched it, they didn't like it. It wasn't what they were expecting because it was genre changing or mm-hmm. genre backpedaling, going back to like the classic horrors. Because they didn't, and again, this isn't calling anyone out in this, because they didn't want to appear stupid when talking about a Stanley Kubrick film, they doubled down on any tiny details they could find to make them sound intelligent when coming into a conversation about it. And after doing that, they found something in that film they wanted to like because they were looking for something to like to not look like a quote-unquote imbecile or idiot for not liking this movie. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. That's what I think about a lot of this. I, I, I think a lot of it is 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 
well, I want to have, I want to know something too. Yeah. And that's kind of the way. Like, if you listen to like, for instance, I know Martin Marty Scorsese. He talks about this movie in, in a roundtable, and he said like, he went back to the theater multiple times to The Shining to watch Jack and Grady in the bathroom. He's like that scene, the edit, the sound, how he breaks the 180 rule with the camera. He's like. I went back to the theater because that scene was something I had never seen. Yeah. He was like, I went back and back and back and I studied it because he's like, there's something here. There's a reason why I feel that way. Yeah. And I think that's, there's a, there's a difference between, oh, what, what was compiled in the shot to make it feel that way? Other than like, well, Kubrick signified this because yeah. like, it wasn't like I keep watching it and I see, you know, dopey in the back corner and that signifies this. It's like, well, no, it's just the way that he shot it really brings forth this emotion. Yeah. And well, that dopey thing of, was kind of cool. That was really cool. I'm not going to lie. Well, that was just the first thing that popped into my head. Like, there's there's solid facts in this movie yeah. that are really interesting. And then there's some where it's like, well, you just. There's so much bullshit, it just throws out the window. Yeah. I mean. And that's where we get into this this second guy who just starts talking about the Holocaust. And again, with this theory, it starts out with a little bit of like more interesting facts that kind of make sense if you watch it. I, I summed up the introduction into one line, and this is all it, it gave me. And again, this is a whole thing, putting the conclusion in front of the thesis, or instead of the thesis. If you put 42 and a German typewriter together, you get the Holocaust. That that line right there pissed me off. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah. Because I'm like, no, show me what you mean first. Explain it. And then I'm like, it just don't figure out what yeah. it means because I'm just going to buy into whatever you're talking about and potentially think you're an idiot. <laughs> I have this problem too, and this is probably going to be a future episode, but with JFK assassination, yeah. where it's just. You start out with, like, a bogus claim. Mm. But it's like... And, and I find a lot with conspiracy theories... I think I've said this on podcasts before... But there's some basis of truth. There's something there that yeah. kind of makes you go... Okay, that could be true. When we talk about Kubrick... The moon landing comes out. And people go, well, it wasn't fake... Or whatever your belief is on the moon landing. But there was a moment in time... Where there was a picture that was faked. An astronaut that was... There was like a little, not Photoshop action, because that wasn't around back then, but there was kind of a... There was like a um, cameraman? Yeah, they kind of made it look like a guy was in space when it actually didn't happen. So there is like a little something yeah. that could yeah. lead you to believe. With this, it's like... There is like, when he gets into it, it makes sense, but yeah. the blatant line at the beginning, it's like, what the, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like It's like, no, I get typewriter and the number 42 that's yeah. what i get yeah i get the shining that's what i get but i don't know all work and no play makes this fucking documentary <laughs> oh my god i mean this guy saw it his name's jeffrey cox he saw it in 1980 like the rest of like the rest of this uh this crew um, he saw he saw a couple Kubrick films before he had any like academic interest in it. Before he really came back and started like trying to teach himself about yeah. stuff, 
And he he didn't like it, like everybody else in here. But he was uh, he was one of the guys who was like, well, I like all the other Kubrick movies, so maybe I'll go back and give it another try. And, you know, something was bothering him. And, and then apparently he started to see patterns of the Holocaust and stuff. And he started watching it over and over and over and over again. And he, he claims that because he was trained as a historian in the history of Nazi Germany, he had the expertise to gather up all this evidence. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, we can go through all the evidence if you want, but I just want, like, a baseline. What do you yeah, guys I, think? My, my issue with stuff like this is... I'm not trying to discredit Jeffrey Cox and any of his academic accomplishments whatsoever, but we saw no evidence towards his claims of his expertise. Uh, that typewriter's name. <laughs> there was the number 42 on the typewriter. There was something else. Um, don't remember. He had, he had nothing but information for you. <laughs> I think I know what you mean. Like yeah. The, the sense of like... Because like when you do a normal documentary, yeah. you like have the person sit down, you have their like degrees behind them and they talk, you're like, okay, instant verification there. So. But this, all the interviews are... It's like they're over the phone. Yeah. And mm. there's even a bit where you hear a kid crying in the background and the guy goes, hold on, let me sort my kid out. And it's just you hear a kid crying in the background and him just ushering him out. You can cut that. <laughs> and you can hear his wife in the background going like, no, I got it. <laughs> and I was just laughing. I'm like, a moment where the guy's like, what the fuck? Stop that wrong. Gosh. See, now I want to know, also, like, I'm sort of quickly just go off topic here. Now I want to know, like, what they left on the editor's floor. If there's, like, how much more of, like, the behind the stuff, like, if you hear, like, you know, the crying kid or, like, you know, hey, what's the guy's name? Jeffrey? Jeffrey Cox. Hey, Jeffrey Cox, what do you want for dinner? I don't know, like some, you know, tuna casserole or something. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, that's just... I'm just going to put it out there. This movie was probably longer than The Irishman before editing. If it, it, probably. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Nothing against The Irishman. That movie's actually fantastic. Because two days to watch every day. An hour every day. Holy fuck. Because I remember you talking to me, like, we've had lots of conversations about this movie before I even watched it, like, yeah. two, three, seven. And we've mentioned it on this podcast a couple times. And, and now I guess, like, yeah, it's, like, grasping at straws every single time. I've seen this movie a couple of times now. And here's the thing. The best thing about this movie, and the shittiest thing I find about this movie, is I'd rather just watch The Shining. Yeah. Every time I watch this movie, it happened to me before this podcast. I went and watched The Shining again because it, it, it I'm like, okay, now I want to go watch The Shining. It's the best part about this movie is now it's... it's like, it makes you want to watch. It makes you want to watch the, it. That's rock material, I guess. So I think like a, a positive thing about this movie is that it, it, it guides people into watching the movie. Now, does it guide them in for the right reasons? I don't know. Right? Like... I don't know. If you're interested in, like, breaking down scripts and having theses for, for movies and stuff, cool. cool. Hey. I'm willing to hear them because yeah. it's kind of cool. Like Wyatt said, I kind of watch them to enjoy them. And, like, I don't know. I don't. I don't I, for subtext in movies, I don't know. I just... 
I guess I just don't get, get yeah. it a lot. But, I mean, going back and watching it, I mean, it's probably a, a cool way to watch a movie. Like For I mean, sure. Going out with hearing someone's opinion, like, okay, and then having that opinion, watching the movie again, and, and, and then just seeing, oh, can you understand what they're talking about? It's still a little... Winking, and that's why like I kind of want to watch this again, like I was saying, and then like what you did, and then go watch *The Shining* just to see if any of these claims do make any sense. There are some where you're like, "Whoa, that's kind of weird," but but I mean, like some of these, like it's a full hour and twenty minutes before you even get the first inkling on what they're saying. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? There was one part of this documentary that I found fascinating, but it was a quick pick up and drop, and that's the tricycle scenes. When they yeah. they map out the kill in the tricycle everywhere they go, and the first one is a circle. Great. Second one, he jumps up a floor. Wait, I, I rewound that bit five times to see what exactly they were getting at because mm-hmm. they weren't in depth enough on it. I was like, "Fuck, they do just jump a floor mm-hmm. halfway through this shot, and it's seamless." And then they do the last one, where it's jumping from the bottom to the top, and I'm like, "How?" Like that's weird. The, the more interesting stuff that they talk about in this documentary, they don't go in detail enough, mm-hmm. and they talk about minotaurs <laughs> instead. Yeah, and, th- and that's such a cool part of it because the way they were talking, it made me feel like, oh, these are so stretched out. Yeah, like these these rides. There's three mm-hmm. rides that Danny goes on in 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 the movie. Number one is Colorado Lounge. Yeah. Number two is the upstairs in what they call the hexagonal hall, yeah. which is like the famous carpet that I'm sure that you guys have seen, that yeah. orange, brown, and red. And then the third one is what you were saying. It starts out in like the service hall, and then it jumps all the way up to where their apartment is, like where all the that's like all the uh, the um, workers', workers places, yeah. where that's like the only floor that's heated in the wintertime because that's where the workers stays. Right? Yeah. But like you were saying, it's weird. And then they start going into the idea that maybe it signifies going from your body to your head and playing around with the dream aspect and like the the subliminal messaging. And like where the parents are, what the parents journey on it, like mirrors that. But they don't touch on it long enough Mm -hmm. for me to get what I wanted from it. Honestly. Because you throw something as interesting as that sequence, and that sequence is famous everywhere yeah and then they just drop it I'm like fuck <laughs> I wanna know like tell me how that is fucking sexual <laughs> yeah like it's just like they go through the scene but the, what they'll tell you is, is they'll go okay so Danny's riding around the Colorado lounge so he's giving you the yeah. layout of what this floor looks like yeah okay so from what we know about the movie I don't know if we can throw the map up but where we start out is in like the main hall where uh, they meet and he and Jack's out having lunch that one day. They walk into the Colorado Lounge and he does a full circle. But then it it cuts to Danny doing like a P or a key shape, they say, yeah. above the Colorado Lounge. The only way that you can notice it is a like a square like over here in the frame. Of just like the top of the curtains or the or the stained glass, like it's not spelled out. Yeah. So, a lot of people were saying that this is this is Jack Torrance's area, and he's showing you Jack Torrance's area, and t- room two three seven is right above where he writes. Okay. So that's like his mind 
and what's going on in his head is room 237 where he has like the the woman who turns into a rotting corpse and then on the third ride you go around and then you go up to the floor with the two twins yep and that's supposed to signify Wendy Wendy's head because she's down in the in the service she's doing a lot of the work in this movie yeah but to go up to the to the floor and see the two twins the famous scene that everybody knows is signifying Wendy because she wants to take care of Danny oh, and and always be come um, play with the Forever and ever and ever. So she kind of wants to take care of him forever, yeah. right? And that's the idea that it's their bodies and then where their heads are at. Okay. It's a cool theory, yeah. like you were saying, but it's just thrown to like... Thumb inside. Yeah. Okay, here's this. There is another thing that's talked about in this documentary that could easily fit it, but they're on the... <laughs> they're like split halfway in the middle with bullshit. Mm-hmm. because they're talking about the first scene when they go into the freezer units mm-hmm. and they go enter one door and they come out a completely different door uh, there's some shots when Danny stands up it's clearly reversed like the whole floor is reversed and all the walls are gone and it's so disorientating that there's no clear floor plan mm-hmm. to the audience that they're just coming in and out of each door and I'm like that's so interesting are you going to touch on this more? no no, they talk about fucking minotaurs halfway through. And it's like, no, like, mm, it pisses me off, man. Fair so, enough. Keep going. The fuck, sorry. It's just, it's... Uh, I know it, what you mean. Because it's the... Um, the freezer, for example, is the one that Jack Torrance gets locked in halfway through. But they, they never go into detail on how walking through the house itself becomes a maze. Mm-hmm. The one thing I've wanted from this is talk about how the house is a maze, like the maze at the end, and they're just trying to escape it. That's never brought up. Never. And they have such clear examples, again, of Danny and his tricycle, of everything moving, everything disappearing and changing, because it's just like a maze. Every turn you take is slightly different, you don't know why. And they just drop it. And the only interesting fact is, yeah, so this this uh, freezer that... Uh, Shelly Duvall comes out of you see it's on the other side well this is the freezer that she locks Jack Torrance in I'm like that's your interesting fact <laughs> yeah and then they play around with the floor plan where it's like well this this window in the interview is you don't know until later on in the movie that it's actually not there it's not real like it's just fucking in the middle of a hotel and there's multiple fucking hallways behind it it's like wait what should, should we talk about one one more cool thing that they brought up and then we just end it with the Minotaur? Yes. Yeah, sure. I have a theory for this movie too. When we're, when we're oh, ready. yeah? Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's one really interesting thing they brought up that I had no idea. And they started with a scene with Jack Torrance talk, talking to uh, Shelley Duvall's character and that it's a chair behind him. And they talk. it's a shot reverse shot and when they cut back to him, the chair's gone. And they're like, oh, was this a... Like a continuity Continuity error and stuff like that. I'm like, there's no way that's a continuity error. But what it does is it adds an unease to that one scene without you really noticing. It's like someone else is there, which is the whole house. There are tons of people there, ghosts there that you don't even see. I was like, 
how did I not know? How did I not see this stuff? So now I want to watch through it again and see everything. And then it goes to another scene with Danny. Is he brushing his teeth or having a shower? Brushes or brushing his teeth. Yeah, the first yeah. scene. Yeah. And you see his bedroom door, and it's a bunch of stickers there. You pay no mind to it, but it focus. It's kind of focused on Dopey, one of the seven dwarfs, as you're peeling in. And then cuts to a different scene after his awakening, after he's gone into room 237 and all the shit starts hitting the fan. And Dopey's no longer there. All the other stickers are there, just not Dopey. And it's like, this is saying that he's no longer innocent kid. Mm. He's now, like, woken up with The Shining and stuff like that. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Focus more on that. Now we got Minotaur! <laughs> it's like, That's... because it's so true, watching it again, yeah. you totally get it. Like, the one scene at the beginning where he's brushing his teeth, mm. and, like, he sees, you see this elevator multiple times in the movie, but that's where he sees the, the elevator, and then he, like, he, he faints. And then the doctor comes in, and she's asking, she's like, oh, are you okay and stuff? And he's like, oh, yeah, just whatever. But that dopey sticker's gone. Yeah. And it's it's really an interesting touch where it's like, well, where, that has to be something that was purposely done. Yeah. There's something there. It's like, why would you put that sticker on? Yeah. Why Unless you put you any told, of those stickers like, on? It's just like, it's weird. It's like, there's something there, but it's like, did you did you build the set and then tear it down halfway through the scene or some shit? Like, right. no, there's, there's a purpose there. And the scene that you're talking about with the chair, 100%. Rewatching right. this movie, it brings something eerie to it. Mm. And I can't explain it. It's like, as soon as you open your eyes, like Danny opened his eyes to, to The Shining, it's like, there's things here where you're like, Oh, it throws you off. And that scene makes me physically uncomfortable because it's when fucking Shelly Duvall is like, she's there and she's being like super sweet. Yeah. She's like, oh yeah, I'll bring you a sandwich in a bit. And let me tell you, Jack Nicholson is having none of that shit. (laughs) Every time you come in here, you're breaking my fucking concentration and I can't write. So then I got to start all over. I'm like, holy fuck, dude. Like, what the fuck? But it's like, you feel bad for her right off the bat because the guy's a fucking snap show. Yeah. He's a dickhead. <laughs> I just realized I've got another major thing uh, before we enter the Minotaur and to your theory. is a connection to last week's episode, which technically we haven't filmed yet, but we're going to after <laughs> on Stanley Kubrick faking mm-hmm. the moon landing. Mm-hmm. Because there's a couple things in here. And I, I wrote... I didn't write, I copy and pasted this because there was just too much to go into. This is from uh, the Paris Review and it's how there's parts of the moon landing hinted in The Shining. So, and this isn't like a a long thing, I'm just going to try and race through it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So, it starts with the Overlook Hotel. We are told the hotel stands for America. It was once grand but has been allowed to dilapidate. The role of the caretaker, a novelist named Jack Torrance, and a, an artist like Kubrick, is to maintain the fiction. In brackets, we landed on the moon. While the uh, while the foundation crumbles, the man who hires the caretaker sits behind a big desk with an American flag at his side and an American eagle behind him. He is the establishment, and tells the caretaker an ugly truth. In quotes, the uh, the guy, whatever his name is. The site is supposed to be located on Indian burial ground, but I believe they actually had 
to repel a few Indian attacks as they were building it. In other words, the hotel, like America, stands on the bones of its rightful owners. Later, the hotel is engulfed in a winter storm. That's the Cold War which drove JFK to make that silly promise about putting a man on the moon. Meanwhile, Jack Torrance is writing, compiling a manuscript that turns out to be evidence of a collapsing mine. That's what takes part in a lie does to an artist and why he must confess. Any thoughts about the first half, where this is going? They talk, they touch on this a little bit, but mm. the, um, I think his name is Barry Nelson, who plays the character, like the, the head guy here behind the desk. They put a, they put a, a toupee on him to make him look more like JFK. Yeah. That, I think yeah. that, that's, that's something that they were talking about in the movie, but it totally makes sense. It kind of aligns with my theory. Ooh, okay. oh. So second half of this goes, again, this is from the Paris Review. Jack's pages, in brackets, is a terrifying discovery in the movie, close bracket, consists of nothing but a single sentence written again and again. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. To the ordinary viewer, it's evidence of madness. To a conspiracy theorist, it's a message, in brackets, all work, close bracket, in brackets again, A-L-L, or A-1-1, as in Apollo 11. At one point, the caretaker's son, Danny, racing his big wheel through the enormous maze halls, maze of halls, a maze duplicated by the hedge maze outside the hotel, a maze in which the family is lost in the way the nation is lost in a wilderness of mirrors, comes up to two twin girls. In brackets, not in the book, exclamation point, close bracket. Creepy specters, the ghosts of children killed by a previous caretaker. Why twins, question mark? Because Apollo 11 came after another fake the Gemini mission. On the Zodiac chart, the symbol for Gemini is a pair of twins. The clincher comes from the Danny... When the Danny, it says in there. This was copy and pasted. This isn't me. When the Danny gets up from his tricycle and walks down the corridor following a mysterious call, the sort that a government might make to a filmmaker in a time of crisis. The, tech, the caretaker's son is wearing an Apollo 11 sweater. Weird, huh? Which is kind of weird looking back at it. Yeah. Uh... It shows a rocket over the words Apollo 11. When he stands, it seems as if the rocket is blasting off. <laughs> Whereas, of course, it isn't because it isn't real. Danny walks, thus the rocket flies. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. Thanks for clearing it up. And when he stands up, it doesn't look real. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Can you reread that? It shows a rocket. Uh, uh, when he stands, it seems as if the rocket is blasting off. Whereas, of course, it isn't because it isn't real. <laughs> I don't know if that's referencing the jumper or if it's referencing the actual rocket. <laughs> it just sounds like it's like, no, you see that rocket on his shirt? Yeah. It isn't real. Now. Oh, okay. Scared me. <laughs> it stood up and it looked like it was about to take off. <laughs> no, dude, don't worry. Oh, okay. don't, don't worry. You're not on the launch pad yet. Oh, thank God. Thank, thank, thank goodness. Danny walks, thus the rocket flies, until he finds himself outside room 237. Danny, who stands for the child in Kubrick, the artist, has traveled to 237. That is, all the way to the moon, only he hasn't. Uh, I'm going to continue, because the documentary added stuff to this. Mm -hmm. The article did say, this is likely not real. This likely isn't the reason why. They're mm -hmm. just talking about theories. Uh, sorry, Amanda. <laughs> uh, so the... The documentary goes into saying that in room 237, there is a key. And on the key, it says, 
room, capital N-O, signify number, 237. And they go on to say, if you rearrange the letters, there are only two letters you can take, which is bullshit. Uh, they say it's room and moon. Another one that was pointed out by your movie sucks is moron. <laughs> <laughs> but they were saying that it, it was taken to the moon and then. Yeah, moon room and 237. There's 237,000 miles between Earth and the moon, and that's why he changed it because Kubrick went on to say, like in an interview, that. The reason why he changed it, because originally the room was 217, because there's actually a room in the Stanley Hotel in Colorado where this was based off of... Stephen King stayed a night at the Stanley Hotel. That's the overlook in room 217. It's supposed to be the most haunted room in that in that in hotel. hotel. He had the worst nightmare of his life. The They filmed... So Stanley Kubrick was like, fuck that. I don't want... That's all good. I was just going to be like, that signifies hunger. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it was like, so I guess what had happened is, is he said that they went to a place called, I think it was called Timber Wolf. It's in Oregon. It's actually like a five hour drive. I checked it because I was like, oh, fuck, that would be kind of sick. But... It's called the Timberland, whatever it is. So anyway, okay, where they filmed the exteriors for yeah. this, the Outlook Hotel, it actually didn't have a room 217 is what Kubrick said, which is actually, or, fuck, what, did, what was it? It was something, it's not up here. So I guess, like, the story goes... Kubrick said in an interview that where they did exteriors, the Timberline Hotel or whatever it was, I think it was called Timberline Hotel in Oregon, didn't actually have a room 217. So when they went in to do the shots, he didn't want to fake that. So, turns out, that was false. It's wrong. Okay. So for some reason, he decided to change it to room 237. Now people uh, claim that it's because the the miles between Earth and and the Moon and, and he's symbolizing that. I mean, isn't it also like two times three times seven is forty? Yeah, forty two. That's the belief with the Holocaust thing and you know all that stuff. I mean, apparently the 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 manager that worked at the Timberline at the time said that Kubrick called. And spent all day on the phone with the manager asking questions about the the hotel. And then Kubrick proceeded to send out two to three people who stayed there for three months and took pictures of every single inch of the hotel and went into like the archives and found out the history of the Timberline and the history of Colorado. Oh, wow. And that's kind of where it leans into the... Um, the history of the indigenous genocide and how it ties into the movie. Mm -hmm. And so people are saying that Kubrick kind of was getting very into the, the history aspect of things. And that's when the history and the, and and the brain and how, how we as a human race forget history and put it like, we forget the horrible shit that's actually happened. And mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff to tie in there, but it's pretty interesting. Okay. But again, 
I think as much as we're, you know, kind of jabbing, making, making fun and just having fun with it, we don't mean any harm by no. anything. Like, the thing that I want to want to say is that somebody put a lot of work into this, and by no means are we shitting on your, your hard work. And, and honestly, like, the film is actually really interesting. But I think if you are interested in this kind of stuff, go watch it. Like, go check it out. By no means is, are we saying, like, don't check it out. It's shit. But it's just like I think I may have said that this time. <laughs> but like, oh, yeah. but like for me, I'm for me, I'm on the fence of like, I mean, if you like that stuff, go check it out. I mean, there there is some like we've been saying. There's some yeah. stuff that feels a bit like like okay, like give me a fucking break. But in the end, there is some stuff that's actually really interesting yeah. in here. I I was able to take some stuff out of it, and there's some stuff that I do want to look into further because of this documentary, mm-hmm. which is worth saying. Uh, I think I was just angry after watching it because, again, there's just a lot of stuff that could have been taken out. Yeah. And that's yeah. where my frustration comes more to. But there's nothing on the people who were in this documentary, nothing on the people who made it. Mm-hmm. Like, props to them. Uh, but it's just... I think the one thing that I would have loved to see from this this documentary... There was a movie that came out a, a, like a little bit ago. I think it won a couple awards at film festivals, but it was Stanley Kubrick's right hand man. He was the actor in Barry Lyndon, and he was like, "All my life, I wanted to be an actor." Yeah. He worked with Stanley Kubrick, and he was just like, "I just want to, I'm gonna work with Stanley Kubrick for the rest of my life." Um, but yeah, he's talking about uh, he was he was like the lead guy in Barry Lyndon, and. He all of a sudden decided he's like, I'm never gonna make another movie without Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. And dedicated his life to working with Stanley Kubrick. Oh wow. I would have loved to see that guy in this documentary talking about the Ryan O'Neill. I think that maybe Film Worker. That's it. So he was like so this dude he was like a fucking I think he was in Barry Lyndon or some shit dedicated his life to fucking Stanley Kubrick movies because he just loved them. So in the background, in in that behind the scenes, you can see him walking Danny to the maze set. That oh. guy who was walking Danny, yeah. that this is him. It's fucking... I want to watch that. I remember when I was younger, before I watched like a shitload of his movies, like I haven't seen all of them. Hmm. Kubrick's movies. I'm. I'm. I think I'm actually gonna do like a Kubrick weekend and just oh, yeah, try just to watch, watch as many, many as possible. I can. If you want to do like a group viewing, we just do a commentary for it as well. Honestly, that's not a bad idea. Because I like. I've never seen 2001. I've never seen Barry Lyndon. I've never. I, I think it'll just be a shorter list to say what I've seen. I've seen The Shining, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange Love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Full Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. Uh, and Clockwork Orange. Yeah. I started Eyes Wide Shut and I didn't finish it. Is this how we trick wine into watching a Tom Cruise movie? Yeah. I want to see Spartacus. Mm. That's like a... Fun Ron Perlman's favorite. Fun fact about Spartacus though. Uh, my favorite. Stanley Kubrick Fuck, was parading around as the writer after... Um, Trumbo, what's his first name? Can't remember. Uh, Harry or Henry Trumbo. After he wrote it, but because of the quote, the communist 
movement or the socialist movement in the writers or they were labelled as uh, socialists because they wanted fair pay uh, he had to write it anonymously and he worked with was it uh, he worked with Kirk Douglas to get the script done wow then gave it to Kubrick to write it when it was nominated for an Oscar Kubrick was no I wrote this movie it's like no you didn't so should it say who wrote it did you Dalton Trumbo do you have one more thing or I don't I don't even know where we were let's just do a minute or then yeah yeah fuck it so a good 30 minutes into this doc this lady's talking and she goes yeah and I just remember this one scene and I wasn't paying much attention but then I was drawn to this skiing poster in the background on the back left you can see it right there and then when it came out in blu-ray I rewatched it and I saw that scene I was like wait a second that's not a skier that's a minotaur and it's juxtaposed with a poster next to it of a cowboy keeping that minotaur theme wait that's all she said she goes into more detail but that's how she like oh how sets she sets a tone for oh, okay it. so so <laughs> i want this so there's also another piece of information that when jack goes into the gold ballroom yeah all right there is unwinding hours which, if you know the whole Greek mythology, which of course I'm pretty sure everybody does, Theseus is that yeah, the name? Yeah, Theseus. Theseus takes out the spool of, of twine and walks yeah. through the labyrinth, and that helps him walk out. So she's saying that that is also another part of this theory. And the scene where Jack is looking over the labyrinth, he is the Minotaur. Okay. Of the hotel's labyrinth, okay. and Wendy and Danny are in the labyrinth trying to, trying to escape to escape the labyrinth. That's kind of a cool, like super bizarre. We're not probably what it is. That's kind of a cool fucking little like. It goes along with the whole like okay that first line what the fuck are you talking about and then you get into it you're like oh that's kind of sick yeah. like okay like I get it honestly the more I was, li- I was listening to it I was more like what the fuck are you talking about what the fuck are you talking about because <laughs> f- she completely contradicts herself by going um, there's an angle Jack Nicholson does where he lowers his head and he looks like a minotaur when he does that face I'm like, no he doesn't okay yeah that's when he kind it's of more of a, little a bit bullish of... face I'm like that's the Kubrick stare yeah because fucking oh like, the down the kind of yeah. like the yeah. Stare up and smile. But, um, the typical, like the um, clockwork uh, orange kind of look. Yeah. Private pile. Yeah, yeah private like, pile. All those. Yeah, all the to make more yourself more intimidating. Or whatever, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's just a, yeah. yeah. It's also it's not a minotaur. Did you grow fucking horns? Do you have a fucking cow head? No, lady. Actually. Or bullhead. Actually, he he did, did he? in one of the behind the scenes. It was actually oh. to symbolize the minotaur. Dude, what man? Shit. Can I, can I, so. First of all, there's no labyrinth in this movie. It's a maze. You, you, you can justify the house being a labyrinth, mm-hmm. but then that goes completely against the maze scene at the end and the whole idea behind that. Because mm-hmm. a maze is has one continuous path yeah. that you go through, whereas a labyrinth, it can change. Yes. Okay. So that being said... There was no fight with a minotaur in a labyrinth. Um, there actually it was going to the center of a maze. Yeah. And Stanley Kubrick, being Stanley Kubrick, would be clear to make this difference concrete if this is a theory. What happens? Hear me out. 
the tricycles the minotaur holy shit danny's the cowboy in the poster see i just kicked her right open there's also a theory in this movie that danny oh god is the killer remember <laughs> danny's the one I who lets him out right Right. He wants his dad to die. To Danny. It's suicide by dad. Dan Dan. Dan Dan. Oh my god. Really? Yes. So Dan. So that's why Danny lures him out into the so, freezing so cold. It's yeah, like it's it's known <laughs> that that there's no fucking there's nothing like there's nothing ghostly about this movie until that no fuck um so Danny was considered uh, the killer because so the paranormal was behind the scenes you say people get mad this is Stephen King because that's when like the when he was talking to yeah so the only really like paranormal paranormal part of this movie is when he's talking well well when Jack Torrance is locked in in the um the freezer freezer, or the pantry Yeah, yeah 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 There's no other explanation as to how he gets out hmm. other than something oh something paranormal happening because he's talking to Grady. Oh, that's okay. kind of the the only time that we are shown that oh, there's actually paranormal stuff happening until Shelley Duvall starts running around the hotel and seeing bear costume blowjobs and fucking fucking skeletons all over the place and that one dude who's got a crack in his fucking face and he's got the drink and he's like enjoying the party and scares the shit out of me <laughs> it's terrified me dude but, but I'm like this guy not, is terrifying don't not. worry that guy with the crack in his head was all this random woman's child's imagination <laughs> dude watch this doc bro yeah I'll watch it tomorrow can we do a follow up episode yeah, after he that'll be next week's video later there's another theory here that I really oh, want to uh, that I really want to get to um, is it? there's alien temples on the moon that are made out of glass oh okay right. I, I need to watch this yeah, right. yeah, I need to watch this fuck it I'm you guess what? Get it. <laughs> there are alien chapels made out of glass on the moon. That's a that's that's a part of this. Yeah. So this guy thought, like came up with like this idea that there's shots of the moon landing where there's like a blue light and it's refracting and and all the stuff you can see it all over the place. So a guy thought it was like an alien civilization cities that were made of glass, so you couldn't see them. Jesus. Proven wrong. But this guy in this says that he found out he did a lot of research on front like on projection yeah so you see it all over 2001 a space odyssey all over these older movies but apparently that's like a light refracting off of the back of i think it's called the scotch screen or something and that happens when there's front projection happening so th- they use that as a piece of proof that the moon landing was faked by stanley kubrick if you want to hear more about the fake stanley kubrick moon landing listen to last week's episode where we talk about moonwalkers and stanley kubrick faking the moon landing stanley kubrick. it's an interesting one that we haven't yet recorded <laughs> promise promise a lot here promise a lot here dog we gotta we, we made, gotta pull through here we made the promises just like jfk did Again, watch last week's episode. 
can't wait to get into that movie. That movie's a fucking banger. So call here? Or um, anything else? I have a theory. What's, what's your theory? Fellows, I have a theory. This whole movie mm-hmm. depicts the, the art, being an artist. You can see all the symbols if you watch it close oh, enough. Oh, shit. So, like the dick mats. Yeah, actually. Or that, the dick rugs. That, that really helps. No, what I, my idea was, uh-huh. my idea was, is maybe a piece of it is kind of like going mad because you are so obsessed with an idea. And you, and you totally, you, you're so invested in an idea that you isolate yourself. You yes. isolate yourself from your loved ones. You push them all away because you're so focused on something that in turn it makes you so crazed to make this movie that it changes you. Or some shit like that. The Shining? I don't fucking know. No, they suck. It's like, I think... No, I mean Jack Torrance. Like, no. Yeah, oh. so, so, oh. what, so let me try and think through. I think there's something that's like... There's something about this movie to be said that I think it's like an artist... Who's trying to like like a writer, mm. who's getting lost in the labyrinths of or the mazes of his mind. So oh. I think that's the metaphor. That's what I'm trying to say. Maybe it's not signifying all this stuff, but I think it might be something that symbolizes an artist who is trying to weave a story. But while weaving that story is getting lost in the mazes of their own mind and in turn ends up going insane. So are you saying that we need to make a movie called Room 237 inside of Room 237? That's what I'm saying. And Vin Diesel is playing the Minotaur in our movie. I've already called it. <laughs> I've already called it. On that note, let's end it there. This has been Cats with Tin Hats. Talk about Room 237. This has been Oliver. Wyatt. And Tucker. Alternative title. Room 238. <laughs> <laughs> and see you next week. 732. So, oh my god. 217. Or Moon Room. Bye. <laughs>